I am super excited about today's episode and my guest that I'm interviewing today. I feel like this is a topic that we could talk about a lot more. I think we talk about women's health a lot, but I think a lot of the issues that we have postpartum, people shy away from. And by postpartum, I mean weeks postpartum, months postpartum. If you had a baby 20, 30 years ago, it doesn't really matter. As the guest today says, if you have a vagina, even whether you've had a baby or not had a baby, this episode is for you. I was super excited to interview Sarah when I started my podcast, I was like, I am definitely going to interview Dr. Sarah Reardon. She is a pelvic floor specialist and has been for 15 years. She went to school at Washington University and then did her doctorate at St. Louis. And honestly, Sarah is a wealth of knowledge. The woman knows everything. And her social media handle, her Instagram is so amazing because she makes everything so casual and calm and even talks about things that are, you know, a little bit more intimate with like a sense of humor. So she She is so fun to talk to, and I just loved this interview. So whether you have had a baby, whether you have not had a baby, this is going to be for you. We are going to talk about everything. We're going to talk about diastasis. We're going to talk about prolapse. We're going to talk about hernias. We're going to talk about heaviness. Literally anything that goes on with your lady region, we are covering today. So this is a good one. I think you're going to find it helpful. My name's Andrea Allen, and I am a mother of four girls under seven, a wifey to a mountain man, a personal trainer, and a nutrition coach. I love all things women's health and fitness, but let's face it, the fitness industry is complicated and it's not built for the everyday mom. There's so much conflicting information, and you're busy and you don't have time to figure it out. I hate feeling confused and overwhelmed, so I have made it my mission to simplify health and fitness while creating a welcoming, realistic, and empowering home for like-minded women. I'm happy you're here, and I hope you stay a while. Hey, Sarah, how are you? Hey, Angie, I'm great. How are you doing? I'm so good. I have been so excited to have you on the episode. Like, I, when I started the podcast, I was like, I'm going to have Sarah on. She is just so fantastic. She is going to smash, you know, myths and misconceptions and all kinds of things. So I'm really excited to have you on today. Oh, wonderful. I'm excited to be here. So I want you to start by kind of, you know, giving background on you, why you got into pelvic floor therapy, um, what you do, and just, just so my followers like know who you are. Wonderful. So I am Sarah Reardon. I am a pelvic floor physical therapist based out of New Orleans, but I have Instagram called the Vagina Whisperer. Which, by the way, is the best name. And the fact that your picture, you're wearing a giant vagina. When I I found you, I was like, I love this woman. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even know anything else you did. I was like, I love her because she is literally wearing a giant vagina. (laughs) (laughs) So um, true. This is all true. So I, um, I am a physical therapist by practice, by degree, by training. I have a doctorate in physical therapist, and I went on to specialize in women's health and pelvic floor therapy and have a board certification in in that. So many people don't even know what the pelvic floor is, don't know what pelvic floor therapy is. So as a physical therapist, we work with muscles and tissues and nerves in the body, and there are muscles and tissues in your pelvic region, and those help with peeing, pooping, sex, pregnancy, birth, all the things. 
And so we really specialize in helping people who have any sort of issue that's going on in that area, whether it's incontinence or prolapse, painful sex, um, diastasis recti, um, and, but not just around pregnancy and postpartum, really any time in a woman's life. Oh, awesome. So it's like all the things female, you do all of them. <laughs> right. And, you know, we do see males as well, but as the vagina whisperer, I focus mainly on female clients. But um, yeah, we do really kind of just general pelvic health for anyone during any life life season. Awesome. Awesome. So what are the most common issues that you see among women, women postpartum, just things that they're like totally unaware of or don't realize aren't normal? So I would say hands down, probably one of the most common ones is urinary leakage or urinary incontinence. Um, This is when you may have a little leak of urine with coughing or sneezing or laughing, or, you know, you kind of don't want to go jump on the trampoline with your kids or get in the bounce house with them, or you leak when you run or exercise. That's probably one of the most common and something that we start hearing a little bit more about on commercials and in conversation. Some of the more kind of tender topics that we also work with postpartum are painful sex from scar tissue from a perineal tear or an episiotomy or even from a cesarean birth, Um, a lot of scar uh, restriction from cesarean birth, and then also um, diastasis recti. So diastasis recti and prolapse are interesting because they're they kind of give us information about our bodies that there's too much pressure or there's um, weakness in the connective tissue in the front, in the abdomen, or the bottom, the pelvic floor. So it's really kind of a coordination connect, connective tissue issue, but we do work with that in postpartum as well. Awesome. That's awesome to share those three. Does it like make you crazy when you see like the poise commercials? <laughs> I mean, it makes me crazy. Like I'm like, why are we promoting a crutch? Fix it. Does. it. <laughs> I mean, it's not even just poise. It's like I see it on Instagram and I see it, I hear doctors yeah. say it. And the whole thing just gets really infuriating because I'm like, you know, 50% of women over the age of 65 have incontinence and potentially end up in diapers. And I think one of the reasons I started being so much more vocal about, hey, there's physical therapy for this. I'm like, I don't want to end up in diapers and I don't want my girlfriends to end up in diapers. And I don't want my, you know, like that should not be my destiny because there's something to help it. And yet we're kind of not talking about it. So people don't know that there are solutions for it other than like panty liners. 100%. Just because we have babies that are in diapers doesn't mean we Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And then you're right in that it's touted like, oh, that's normal. So I love that you're saying that's not normal. No, not at all. It's common. um, But there's... It's normal. And I say this all the time because I'm like, you know, when someone goes in to have surgery, they get physical therapy before on their knee and they get physical therapy after. And yet women or moms are giving birth and we're just like, all right, sister, see you maybe in six weeks or never. And then, you know, we never follow up on them. I totally agree. I feel like the number one mistake in the healthcare industry for women's health is that we have that one six month postpartum checkup. And I'm like, everyone should have a mandatory pelvic floor therapist checkup after that. Like, I feel like everyone should, I feel like it'd make a huge difference. We'd all feel so much better about what we can fix, what we can't fix, what's normal, what we can adjust and everything. Right. Exactly. And you know, that's a, the week, I think, you know, it's about six weeks and then sometimes it's a little bit sooner. Sometimes it's a little bit later, but the research is even showing that 40% of moms don't even attend that six week visit, which is insane. So like they were just kind of falling off and there's no follow-up care for them. So I'm with you. I would love to see the day when physical therapy is just part of kind of the um, the postpartum process for moms. Amen. That's so true because we go like a million times for the babies and then we're like, mom, you're good to go. You just, you know, spit out 10 pounds out of your vagina. All is well. Good luck. Well. Yeah, thumbs up. <laughs> see you soon. <laughs> 
So what are some exercises and some things like, let's kind of talk about the difference between a hypotonic and a hypertonic pelvic floor. So for those of you who don't know, that's a weak or a tight pelvic floor and the symptoms and the treatments are very different. So let's kind of talk about the differences between those signs of each of them and what you should be aware of. Okay. And I love that we're really differentiating this because I think so often people say like, what are some exercises for your pelvic floor? And I'm like, well, it depends. Is your pelvic floor weak and maybe hypotonic where it's not contracting as strongly as it should or kind of in a timely manner? Or is it tense and overactive like a hypertonic pelvic floor and you need to work more on strengthening and relaxation? So a hypotonic floor, which is typically a weak pelvic floor, um, some of the major signs and symptoms may be urinary leakage, pelvic organ prolapse, which means your organs kind of start to press into the vaginal walls and it can feel like you have heaviness or pressure in the vagina. You don't empty your bladder all the way. You don't empty your poop all the way. Like those muscles are just not as supportive as we want them to be. I kind of describe hypotonic pelvic floor like You know, during pregnancy, we get all of those text messages or emails that are like, your baby's the size of an avocado, and then it's the size of a pineapple, and then by the end, it's the size of a watermelon. Yeah. Well, if you are holding, if a hammock is holding a watermelon, that hammock is going to sink down, get stretched out, be a little bit lower. That's really what happens to your pelvic floor when it's hypotonic. It's just not as supportive. So it's not supporting your organs as well, and it's not closing um, and holding in pee and poop as well. So um, hypertonic is overactive. So this is, you know, think of when you have tight neck and shoulder muscles and you have those little knots in your shoulders you want to rub out and it may give, maybe gives you headaches. That's what a hypertonic muscle is like, but in your pelvic floor. So it's tense, it's overactive, it doesn't relax well. So this can mean you have painful sex, like when something's trying to insert into the vagina, like a tampon or a speculum you tense up and it may cause pain or discomfort. Um, Other signs are like tailbone pain because these muscles attach to the tailbone, pain with sitting, um, a hard time starting your urine stream. So you kind of sit and you like can't start your stream because your muscles can't relax well. You're straining with bowel movements because you can't relax your muscles well to empty. That's typically hypertonic. And in that situation, you want to focus a lot on relaxation. So you want to you know, just like you would have somebody kind of rub out your shoulder muscles and you do some stretching, it's the same thing for your pelvic floor. You want to focus on relaxation, breathing, lengthening the muscles and things like that. That makes total sense. I think sometimes people forget, which sounds, you know, simple, like the pelvic floor is a muscle like anything else. Yep. If it's too tight or if it's not trained, it doesn't do its job. Right. Right. And people totally forget that. Right. And the other thing I tell people is that like you have to use it when you need it. Like people are like, I do my Kegels. I'm like, well, you do them in the carpool lane, you know? Like you don't, <laughs> you're not leaking in the carpool lane. You're leaking when you're jumping on the trampoline. So like we need to train your muscles to work in the position and the activity that you need them. And it's it's hard because there's not a blanket protocol. Like, you know, every person is different, every pelvic floor is different. So it really is a little bit individual as to like where you start. And, and what's really going to help someone. Totally. It's like, it's very similar to, you know, in lifting where we're saying we teach someone to do a deadlift and then they go to lift a box and they don't even use the form that they use in a deadlift. And then they're like, why do I have back pain or why did I hurt my back? And same thing with the pelvic floor. We learn to do Kegels. We learn to do these things, but then we actually don't use them when we're lifting, when we're twisting, when we're turning, when we're jumping and all these things, when they actually 
matter. It's like we're practicing, but not using them when we're performing. Totally. And you know, I think one of the things, I mean, just from my own experience as a mom, it's like, we have to be really mindful. We have to think about, okay, I'm about to lift my kid out of the bathtub. I need to exhale and then contract my pelvic floor and all this stuff. It's like, we're just racing and going through the motions. And so part of it is really helping us slow down, tune in, think like, how am I peeing? How am I pooping? Does sex hurt? You know, and am I leaking or is this just sweat? And just really kind of tapping into like what's going on with our bodies to help us, you know, one, recognize and become aware. And then two, think of like, okay, now what changes do I need to make? Yes, that makes total sense. So which do you think you see... This might be a tricky question. Which do you think is more common or does it just depend on the person? A little bit of both. I mean, honestly, I feel like I see so much tension and overactivity in my patients. I mean, we don't, because even prior to pregnancy or birth, someone will say, well, you know, I used to have sex, um, have pain with sex before I even had babies. Or, you know, I've never used tampons because they've always kind of felt uncomfortable. Or, you know, I mean, just different things that like I've always had constipation and I was just one of those kids that always had it. And these are all signs of overactivity that, you know, maybe it was exacerbated or, or kind of just brought to awareness after having giving birth. Then the other thing is you can have overactivity or hypertonic pelvic floor and then underneath that have weakness. So say for prolapse, prolapse is when things are kind of like weak and feels heavy. It feels like something's falling out. Well, our body's natural response is to kind of like tense up and guard and try to hold everything in. Well, you get into this state of like constant holding of those muscles. So now you have tension in your muscles, but then underneath that you have real true weakness which is what led to the prolapse. So it's a very complicated situation, but it does, sometimes we see both, but I would say we see a lot of a lot of moms who have overactivity and they just have been doing Kegels thinking that's going to make everything better, but that's really almost making the situation worse. Yeah. It's like they're focusing on the wrong, the wrong side of the pelvic floor. And that makes sense. Also do, and I noticed this, so I've actually experienced both. Um, after I had my twins, I had no, my pelvic floor was totally hypotonic. It was it was like a banana hammock carrying uh, seven people at once. There was <laughs> no tension in there. I would like walk and see, it was bad news bears. Um, anyway, I worked on that, but then I sometimes think I overworked it. And then yep. I developed um, a hyper, a tight one. And I didn't totally notice it until I started noticing a couple, a little bit of pain or here and there. And my leakage started coming back and it confused me. And I did go into a physical therapist because again, if you're worried that you have these issues, see a physical therapist. I am so on board with that. Obviously, if I'm interviewing Sarah, I think it's helpful. But I went in and she's like, yeah, you really need to focus on the actually relaxing. And part of that, I think, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but like stress and anxiety when we're always so tense and always feeling all wrapped up, it wraps up in our pelvic floor too. Totally, totally. Just like neck and shoulders, you get TMJ, you get headaches. It's the same thing. And we're sitting for a lot of the day and we're kind of clenching our muscles where, you know, if you have the urge to pee or poop, you like delay it and hold off. And then your muscles are kind of clenching to hold everything in. Um, I think it's- Especially it's, as a mom, because you're like, ain't nobody got time for that. I, I know, right? Or like, or when we do pee, we like hurry up and push it all out as fast as we can because there's like a kid on our lap. So yeah, you can have both. And I think that that's what's tricky is people think, oh, I'm leaking. It must be weakness. But just to your point, you can totally have- overactivity. And I think a lot of even fitness now, like I do a lot of spinning and, you know, and Peloton. And so for me, it's like, I have a 
a lot of tension just from being on my spin bike. So I need to balance it with relaxation and stretching afterwards. So it's just about balancing the muscle versus doing all of one thing. That makes total sense. So for you, in your opinion, the best thing would be to evaluate which is happening. Like you gave some good tips and some good ways to kind of recognize the difference. And if it is tight, then you might want to work on the actual relaxing of the pelvic floor. And if it is loose, then maybe learning to Kegel and doing things during your daily activities will be beneficial. Totally, totally. And then also kind of, I always say this for diastasis recti as well as prolapse, but like stay under your threshold. So like if you can run one mile and you don't leak, then great, run one mile. But if you get into two miles and you start leaking, then I'm like, that's past the threshold of what your tissues can handle. So you kind of have to scale it back and then keep building up strength and endurance of your pelvic floor to to last that length. So, you know, don't push past kind of what your body's telling you, like, mm, not, we're not there yet. Yeah, that makes total sense. With diastasis, I know that I've had people where they say, well, I lift heavy. I want to stay lifting heavy. And I'm like, well, you can't do that if your core isn't ready to lift heavy. So they have to come down in their weights, work on actually connecting properly, and then slowly increase them. So it's the same thing with the pelvic floor. Yep, you got it. Awesome. So what are some exercises? Like, can you tell us a little bit more about prolapse and maybe things to be aware of and some exercises to possibly improve that? Because I know that is a tricky one for a lot of women because I feel like people are embarrassed to admit like that they have prolapse sometimes. It feels awkward and it's like, no, we need to openly talk about it so people know that it happens and it's normal and we can, you know, do some things about it. Yeah. And it's really interesting because, you know, studies show that so that such a high percentage of women experiences, especially in the first year after giving birth. But if we go back to doing the things we've always done without addressing it, like it doesn't necessarily get better. I also feel like prolapse can feel very scary. You're like, oh my God, something's following my vagina. Like I'm totally doomed. This is never going to get better. And that's not the case. Like prolapse can definitely get better. It can definitely improve. The symptoms can improve. The position of, you know, the pressure or the organs can improve. So there's a lot that can be done. Um, But it is scary, you know, and it is kind of embarrassing to talk about. I totally get that. So, you know, to be more specific, what prolapse is, is when your pelvic organs, so your uterus or your bladder or your rectum, aren't as well supported in that hammock of muscles. And they kind of start to press down into that hammock of muscles. But the way that that exhibits is they're pressing into the vaginal wall. So the bladder is kind of in the front of the vagina. So it kind of falls into the front wall of the vagina. The rectum's kind of in the back. And so it feels like poop is kind of pressing into your vagina. There's poop that's pocketing in there. Or that like your cervix is really low or your partner's hitting your cervix during intercourse or something like that. Does it make a difference of which of the three that people have? Like, can you tell a difference between them when you're looking for signs? Um, When I do an exam, I can tell. I think for an individual, some people, if you are having a hard time emptying your bladder, if you pee and then you get up and then you have a little bit of leakage afterwards or you're peeing and you feel like you're not emptying well, it might be a bladder issue, which is called a cystocele. Or for pooping, it's like you feel like poop is stuck right there and you can't get it out. Or um, some people even have to kind of insert their finger into the vaginal canal and like push back so that they're supporting the back wall to empty or they feel like something's stuck in there. That's going to be more of a rectal um a rectal issue, which is going to be a rectocele. So um, yeah, you can kind of tell by symptoms, but just even doing an assessment on somebody, we can tell immediately. So some of the things, you know, I'm really big in physical therapy about getting to the root cause of an issue. So 
for someone who has prolapse, I'm like, okay, it's not just about giving you exercises to help with it, which will be strengthening and learning how to breathe when you're lifting and doing day-to-day stuff, but it's also about what caused that? So is it like heavy lifting when you're working out? Is it you pushed for a long time during birth and maybe that was a contributing factor? Is is it chronic constipation that you like have always had constipation, you're straining, and that led to weakness of the wall? So I always think about like what was the root cause because even if we strengthen the muscles, if somebody's still straining when they pee or straining when they poop or lifting too heavy – it's going to come back. And that's why I think even with surgery, we see a lot of these surgeries fail and they have to be repeated after so many years because nobody ever told them like, this is what caused it. So we need to fix that as well as kind of rehabilitate the muscles. So um, it's like stop straining, strengthen. You can use support. So sometimes there, I tell people if they have leakage or their urethra is kind of moving around and causing leakage, um, I tell them to use tampons while they're working out or running. Like a tampon supports the vaginal wall, so your bladder's well supported, your rectum's well supported. Um, I teach them how to poop without straining, and then um, you know just different kind of lifestyle things in addition to strengthening exercises. That is amazing about the tampon. Like right oh when you, yeah, right <laughs> when you said it, I was like, oh my gosh, it's like something pushing against your wall. How smart! But I yeah. never would have thought that. That is amazing. Yeah, there are these like other devices that you can use that are but over the counter. A tampon, if if it, it's able to kind of be supported in your vaginal walls, it's such an easy thing. And you know if you. It's a great way to help somebody stay active while they're still experiencing symptoms. Like if I have a runner and they're like, I want to run, this is what I want to do, but I also want to work on my muscles. And I'm like, okay, we're going to keep working on your muscles and strengthening, but when you run, I want you to use this support to see if it can just prevent things from getting worse while we're still trying to strengthen you. And it's just, I feel like it's really empowering for people to be able to wear this and like go to a concert or festival or go for a run or work out in the gym and not have to worry about, am I doing damage or am I peeing my pants? And they can still be working on it, you know, behind the scenes on strengthening and, and recovery. You're totally right. Because that's one of the hardest things I think as, you know, a mother or anyone who's struggling with whether it's diastasis or tight pelvic floor or loose or prolapse is that you feel trapped. You feel stuck in your body and there's things that you're not recognizing. It's like, I feel like a stranger in my body. I didn't used to experience this. Or maybe for some people they always have, but they feel trapped. So having that freedom and learning I would assume is everything. Yeah. And it's also like, you know, for exercise, I mean, for you, for me, for so many people, it's like how we care for our mental health. It's how we decompress and de-stress and, and sometimes how we feel like ourselves again. So to take that away from somebody sucks. I mean, it just that sucks. That would be brutal. I don't know yeah. what I would do with myself. Yeah, I know, Andrea, you would go crazy. <laughs> so, um, but it's so- The like, only way I don't go crazy is exercising. Exactly. <laughs> so I think that that's it. Like, how can we meet people happy? halfway so they can do the things they want to do, but also feel like they're not making things worse or damaging something. Perfect. So can you think of any exercises like that we could talk about now that would possibly help with prolapse? And you did explain like it's that heaviness and some of those signs. If we missed any of those signs, if you want to kind of double back on those and then maybe things that can help along with obviously seeing a PT would be helpful. Yeah. So let's start with kind of some symptoms. So again, some of the kind of basic things with bladder health are like you feel like you're not emptying your bladder completely or, um, you know, you may pee and then stand up and like a little bit leaks out. That's because your bladder is repositioning and you may have a a little bit more that comes out after that. Or um, with pooping, it feels like, again, something stuck that you can't empty all the way. You're straining with bowel movements. 
Um, and even during intercourse, it may feel like your partner's hitting something. Um, other day-to-day signs, it feels heavy, like pressure, like something's like a, almost like a tampon's in your vagina, but there's not a tampon there. And it usually, that heaviness usually gets worse at the end of the day or after like a standing activity or exercise. So when you're upright and there's a lot of gravity kind of pushing down. Um, so some of the exercises, I really train people to use their pelvic floor muscles and strengthen their muscles in a lying down position first. So I want to take like all the pressure, all the gravity off and just train them to use, contract their pelvic floor, doing a Kegel, if you want to call it that. Um, they can do it just lying on their back with their knees bent, or they can even put pillows under their bottom to kind of put them in like a semi-bridge position and then have them practice in that position so there's no weight on the pelvic floor. Yeah, so and they then, aren't fighting gravity, which makes right. sense. And you this got is it. also helpful if they have a loose pelvic floor as well yep. for prolapse and loose. Okay. Yep. And so then then I kind of like, once they're getting a, doing a great job in lying down, I have them move into sitting, which is against gravity, but then they have support underneath them. And then I progress them to standing. So they're in an upright position and then maybe with movement, like doing squats and lunges. And like that whole progression could take two months. So it's not like they're doing this, you know, every week. Um, they're moving from one to the other because it takes time to strengthen muscles. Like we know that if you start lifting, you know, doing bicep curls, that muscle's not going to get stronger in five days. It's going to take a week or two for the muscle to hypertrophy and get stronger before you start loading it more. The other thing that's really important for prolapse is that you don't just do quick Kegels. The majority of the muscle fibers of your pelvic floor are these long hold endurance muscle fibers. So there's the ones that help support your organs all throughout the day. So doing like a 10-second hold, 15-second hold contraction and really working on the endurance contractions is going to give you way more bang for your buck with prolapse than just doing quick Kegels all the time. Well, and that makes sense too because if you think about even lifting something – and when, like I said, I've been to pelvic floor therapy. I'm a, I'm a raging fan of it. <laughs> but I remember they hooked me up to these electrodes and they had me do my long 10-second holds and I could see that sometimes after a couple seconds, I would start to relax it. And it was good for me to realize, oh, during movements in the day, I mean, the quick pulses are cool, but like if I'm carrying a box, I need something a lot better than a quick pulse. Right. <laughs> or a kid on your hip. Yes. Or, you know, so, um, or trying to like, you know, you feel the heaviness at the end of the day, it's because the muscle's fatiguing. So it's really a lot of those kind of long hold endurance contractions I really try to work on if somebody has prolapse. That's really, that makes a ton of sense. So they can kind of start there on their own and then obviously, you know, contact a PT if they yeah. feel like they need something. And, you know, bring it into workouts. So then like if you are doing this on your own and you're just working on some of the longer holds and standing, then start doing it with squats and lunges and, you know, really kind of maintaining that contraction. And maybe you do it with like a one rep squat and then maybe you can hold a contraction for two or three squats. And so again, like increasing the endurance of the hold during activity to make it functional and make it stronger. That makes total sense. So what about during pregnancy? I know, you know, I on my Instagram, I asked people questions. And that was one of the questions I got is people saying, what about during pregnancy? Can I do anything to prevent or, um, you know, prevent it from getting worse? You know, there's two different ways to that. Like if someone already yeah. has prolapse or to prevent from getting it, same thing with the pelvic floor tightness and looseness. Yeah. So it's kind of the same principles of like stop straining. So that, again, that hammock is like carrying more and more weight. So if you are lifting weights or working out, like I do recommend like scaling, like 
gradually scaling back as you get further and further along in your pregnancy. Again, like your tissues can only maintain so much tension. So you have growing baby, you've got stretching abdominal walls. So like doing all of this stuff that's like super high intensity weight training or heavy lifting, that's amazing to stay strong, but you have these muscles you can't see. And I always think about like, how are those responding? So, you know, Again, decreasing your intensity over the course of pregnancy, not straining. Constipation is like a doozy during pregnancy. So making sure you're not straining and, you know, implementing again, these contractions, like if you're lifting another kiddo or you're pushing a piece of furniture, like bring those muscles into your day-to-day activities. So with prolapse, people can obviously lift heavy again and jump, but they just basically need to train for that. Yes. Yes. It's so interesting because I have a coworker who's um, I've worked with for years and she is a CrossFitter. And we actually met when she was an orthopedic physical therapist. And she was like, hey, I've got these issues with like peeing my pants, but I also have pain with sex. Like, I don't know what's going on. I started after my second birth. So we found that she had a ton of overactivity, but she also had prolapse and weakness. And so we had to work on the overactivity with just doing some internal massage to the muscles and and then teaching her to contract and strengthen her muscles. And she crossfits. I mean, she can like lift, she does all these things. I don't even know like what the words are, like lifts and slings and uh, just crazy stuff. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and double under. I was like, I don't know what a double under is, you know? <laughs> but, Crossfitters um, will do stuff. And I'm like, oh, that's a thing. <laughs> I know. I mean, she brought, a barbell in. she brought a barbell in. I was like, I can't even like lift this. And then she like loaded weight on it and like popped it up. I was like, that's amazing. But um, yeah, she has prolapse and like totally lifts heavy, but she just knows where her threshold is. And she also can like recognize the signs of, okay, I had some leakage with this. I need to modify it. Or I can only do 10 double unders right now. I can, I can't do 20. And just can like, has learned to kind of scale back her weight, strengthen, and then has bumped up her weight again. So you can totally do it. Um, You just have to train for it. Just like you would train your muscles to run a marathon or to lift heavy weights. You have to train these muscles to do that same thing. That makes total sense. So, because a lot of times, like I said, people feel doomed and I'm like, you're not doomed. You just have to rework the muscles to do their job properly. And things like CrossFit and powerlifting, some of those things, when they're throwing up that heavy, heavy weight, it's not that you're forbidden to do that again. It's that you need to do it correctly. And we know that's the same thing with diastasis is a lot of times people are like, I can never do a plank again. I'm like, yes, you can. You just have to do a plank correctly. There's no such thing as a no-no list. It's a, what can you do correctly? Totally. And that's where I think it's like the, it depends. People are like, can you do planks with diastasis? I'm like, it depends. But you know, overall it's as long as your tissues can maintain the tension, the same goes for diastasis as prolapse, then it's totally fine for you. And once they're not able to support that, then you have to kind of scale back. And these are muscles like any other muscles. And I don't fault people for not knowing what to do. Like nobody talks about this. It's not even brought up during pregnancy. It's barely, you know, we're just starting to see the the conversations really kind of bubble up because people are like, hey, I want help for this. I don't want to have to just deal with this. So, you know, I think that it's, really society hasn't, or the medical community hasn't really provided us resources to know what to do, how to address this. So it's just now, I think, really coming to light. A hundred percent. I had my twins about, well, now eight years. They just had their eighth birthday. And I remember um, when I first started developing issues, I developed diastasis and I had a weak pelvic floor. And I remember using Google because I didn't get any information from a doctor. And I Googled and Googled all night long and finally stumbled upon some stuff. So I am thankful that now with social media that we have people openly talking about this. And I even remember the first time I mentioned it, 
feeling a little bit like, is this weird? Do people know about this? And people are like, what? That's a thing? <laughs> I know. I know. And it's crazy because I'm like, we spend so much time. I mean, and I did the same thing. I mean, I can't tell you the hours I put into like my nursery and my baby registry. And I'm like, whoa, I should have been like preparing for birth and my recovery. Like, because at the end of the day, it's like you, we, we've got to take care of ourselves in the process. And this is a major part of it is like postpartum rehab and pelvic floor recovery and abdominal recovery after a C-section. So, you know, again, I think we're just really starting. I mean, I have, you know, friends that like purchase their mom gift cards to come see us because they're like, they don't need shower gifts. They need pelvic floor therapy. And I'm like, yes, sister, sing it louder. You yes, know? that is amazing. That is like the best gift. That is genius. <laughs> I know. And it's just, I think it's wonderful because it's just kind of, we're all supporting one another in this process. And that's just kind of another you know, another way that we can do that. Totally. And I mean, talking about all of these issues, a common one that I know I get asked a lot, and I'm sure you get asked a lot, is people say, is it too late? I'm 60. I Can I still, you know, heal my DR or fix my pelvic floor or seeing improvements? Yeah, it's never too late. So Thank whether you. you are six weeks, six months, six years, six decades, like any time, like if you have a vagina, there is help. And you know, in my clinic the other day, I had a woman walk out who was 71 years old who I'm seeing, and then a 27-year-old woman walked in after her. I'm like, this is so awesome that this can help people at any life season because, you know, everybody needs help. It's not, it's, you know, pelvic floor issues don't discriminate, unfortunately. And, um, you know, there's help for that at any age. It's never too late. So, and I think it just also helps. What I think I hear more often is like, why didn't I come sooner? Like, I wish I would have just come yes. sooner and wait so long and just keep dealing with it. Yes. And I love that you said, if you have a vagina, there's help. <laughs> it's true. It's, true. it's so true <laughs> because I know for me, that is a common thing I get. And I'm like, I wish I could like put out a PSA that goes to everyone's phones, like a text message. It's like, it's never too late. <laughs> it's true. The same thing for diastasis. Like it's yeah. never too late. You know, I think we learned to, to deal with it, but it can always improve. Yes, that's totally true. So what do you think would be the best tips for a woman who, you know, after they've had babies, whether it's been 20 years, two months, two weeks, I know we said like, it's never too late, but what would be some advice or tips you would give someone if they're struggling with any of these things? You know, I think that there's two things just as a woman and as a mother myself that, you know, you'll come at the right time. I think oftentimes I hear people or even, you know, my family members or friends, I'm like, oh, I have this problem. I should come. I should come. I'm like, you'll come when it's the right time. Like you have to get to a place where this is not bad enough, but where you feel ready to address it. And that's even me when I have other issues, like other health issues, I'm like, I'll let them go on and on, but it has to take me doing something about it. So, you know, we will meet you when you're there and when you're ready. And, um, and it's at your comfort level. I mean, it, it's kind of like physical therapy for your pelvic floor can sound really scary, but I think of these muscles like any other muscles in your body. Like I'd rather work with the pelvic floor than a foot. You know, I don't, feet are not my jam. That's not my thing. So, you know, you'll come when you're ready. Um, and then the other thing is also, this is almost kind of contradictory, but I'm like, don't ignore your body. If it's giving you information that, something's painful or if something feels wrong or you don't feel like connected to your body or you have trauma from birth, like lean into that so that you don't just keep putting it off because it doesn't get better by itself. Unfortunately, you'll come when you're ready. But, you know, I really have learned as a mom to kind of like lean into what my intuition is telling me, even with all the courses and guides and programs 
sometimes I just need to kind of quiet the noise and be like, you know what? I think that this is really the right thing for me. And then I have to go do it myself, advocate for myself, whether a doctor tells me it's not worth it or not, you kind of have to, you know, be the advocate for your own health. Oh my gosh. I love that. Like, in fact, it's funny because I just recorded another podcast about being an advocate for your health. But another example of that, which I love is about people ignoring their own body is I have clients sometimes who they, they learn to ignore their hunger signals. And, and I'm like, no, no, if you're hungry, that's your body talking to you. Yeah, it's <laughs> that's a sign. So when when you're having these signs, you know, leakage or pain or, you know, libido, all these things, those are signs that your body's like, you know, red light, red light, something's off. Right. And again, I mean, I think people, they may be like, oh, I pee my pants or I have pain with sex. And they don't know where to go with that information. So yeah. it's like, okay, what now? So, but again, there's so many resources now and you can literally type in painful sex and like physical therapy will pop up as an option. And same thing on Instagram. So, you know, I really think that social media has allowed this information to just get so widely disseminated instead of having to get information from my doctors only. Um, I, it just makes it so much more accessible. And I do think that people need to understand that an OBGYN's job is to deliver a baby. Um, they should refer you to a physical therapist, but they don't have the same, they have some information. It's the same thing as me in fitness. I know very well bodybuilding. I am not as familiar with powerlifting. I can dabble in some of that information, but that's not my number one forte. So when you're working with an OB, they should refer you to a physical therapist because their job is to deliver the baby and they can dabble in that stuff, but it's going to be helpful to see someone who that is their main jam and they're going to know the ins and outs like you do. Right. Totally. So, um, yeah. And that's the thing. If somebody comes to see us and they're, I'm like, there's not a problem here, then they're like, awesome. There's not a problem. I'm like, that's what happens when we go to the dentist. They'll be like, no cavities. You're like, sweet. See you in six months. You know, so yeah. it's like we can do that for this part of our body too. So, um, yeah, I think it's the, it's the right thing to kind of go to somebody who is a specialist. And it just, I think it's really amazing too, to kind of understand how our bodies work. I mean, people ask me so often, how did you get into this field? And I just, one, I love working with the patients, but two, I think it's really amazing to understand my body and how it works. And I had amazing births and amazing recoveries. And I really credit that to like just knowing a, the information I feel like everybody should know going through this process. A hundred percent. I've shared my own story in on my podcast and in social media that with my twins, I, I, I only knew fitness. I didn't know anything about pelvic floor. And it was a struggle recovery. I caused myself more injury. I irritated my DR. I didn't know what I was doing. And with my last two pregnancies, I did. And they were night and day difference. Like I pushed the baby out quickly. I recovered quicker. I felt better. My body felt like mine faster because I prepared for it. And I knew what was going on. So there is a difference, you know, knowing how to take care of your women's health, knowing how to take care of your pelvic region makes a huge right. difference. Right. Exactly. I mean, that's like the base of your whole core. Like, <laughs> like you got limbs coming off the most important part of your body. I know. <laughs> and we just like skip right over it, you know? Yeah. So You're like, how do my I, biceps look? Who cares about my core? <laughs> I know. But that's ultimately like what's happening, you know? So, I mean, you know, again, we don't need everybody like showing us how their pelvic floor looks, but I would say that 
again, it's it's good to give it attention. It's good to connect. And it's actually really kind of emotionally healing too. There's so much that goes into what we experience with recovery and, you know, sex and exercise and all these things that to like, sometimes we just push this part of our body off, but to really like to connect with it can be really healing in other ways, not just physical. Totally. So as we kind of mentioned a little bit low libido, I want to kind of talk a little bit more about that and, you know, its relationship to your pelvic floor, because that's another important region, especially if you're married, if you have a partner, whatever it is, like that's a key piece, people. (laughs) Totally. So, and I think that we, one thing about low libido is that we deal with it in isolation. Like I'm a postpartum mom, I'm a working mom, you know, I breastfed for years. Like low libido is something I have personally experienced and there's so many factors that go into it. It can be stress, it can be relationship problems, it can be, um, or not even problems, just status. You know, parenting has takes its toll in relationships. Um, it can be sleep deprivation, but from a pelvic floor perspective, some of the things that really affect libido specifically are hormones. So if you are lactating or breastfeeding or you're on birth control or you're entering menopause, you're, you have lower estrogen levels. So lower estrogen levels can cause your vulvar and vaginal tissues to be thin and dry. And it can also cause discomfort with intercourse. It can feel like there's like sandpaper in your vagina. So if that's causing painful sex, that's not going to make sex interesting to you at all. Yeah. That's like avoid at all costs sandpaper sex. (laughs) Yeah. I know, but people have it and they're just like, well, I, I didn't know if this was normal or if it will go away. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, lactation or hormones. So um, you know, pain. And then the other thing is scar tissue. So if you've experienced a perineal tear or an episiotomy, most women do experience a perineal tear during birth. Um, it can be as small as a paper cut or even, you know, all the way to the anal sphincter. But if you do experience a tear, that could cause scar tissue in the area, which could cause things to be tight, painful. It could feel like something's tearing. I know this sounds terrible, but um, again, that's going to cause low libido. It can cause muscle guarding, um, avoidance behavior. And then, you know, the other thing is um, just low estrogen in general, which is what happens when you are postpartum in the early days. That's why you don't get your period is because your estrogen levels are low. Low estrogen and low testosterone contribute to low libido. So, you know, as you get further out from postpartum, as your sleep improves, as you maybe start lactating less, your libido can improve. But I always say there's kind of an analogy like, there's two things you need to do to kind of improve libido. In my opinion, from what I've read, like you need to put the foot on the gas, one foot on the gas and take one foot off the brake. So we may be taking things off the brake, like one foot off the brake. That's like, okay, your hormones are improving. We've worked on pain and muscle tissue and scar tissue, but you still have to put something on the gas, right? So it's a little bit of like finding out what that is for you that can not just help you take your foot off the brake, but also help you put the foot on the gas. And that takes time. I mean, there's so much pressure to get back to sex after kids. And I'm like, I was like 12 weeks. Don't touch me. Don't look at me. I'm feeding this baby and I'm sleeping. And that's it, you know? So I was like, that's it. And then after that, we'll talk about it, you know? (laughs) There's a scene in Bridesmaids and a girl walks in and she like literally yells at her, don't look away or look away. (laughs) And that's how you feel, look away. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, just don't even, and then I don't need that pressure. There's so much pressure to do so many other things after giving birth. That is not one that I need in that, that fourth trimester. So like, 
give yourself some time, heal. It will come back. It will all, it, it can totally come back. But I think it comes back better if you just give yourself some space and time to like heal physically and emotionally and all those things. But I think having it, you know, like you said, putting your foot on off the brake and a little on the gas, just being aware and, you know, communicating with the partner would also be helpful that there really is some scientific things going on and some hormones going on. Yeah, totally. And I mean, it's, it's tricky too. I mean, if you could have like your body image is different and your, you, your, your, you know, people have leaked breast milk with orgasms, like things that your body's doing that are like totally new and wacky. And you're like, whoa, what is going on? So, you know, but these are really common and communication's key. And you, we do have to work harder to put our foot on the gas, but it's totally possible. And, um, you know, I think we just have to put effort in that arena. You've got to kind of fill that cup as well. It doesn't, it doesn't fill as easily or as quickly as it did free kids, in my opinion. So I think we just also have to really work at it. I love that. So don't be scared. It will come back, but let's work at it because I think that's really helpful. Something else I wanted to touch on, we've talked a little bit about diastasis, but something I've been researching and you know, learning in some courses and stuff is a lot of people sometimes feel confused about the difference between DR and a hernia. And mm-hmm. while they are sisters, I always say to people, they're sisters, but slightly different. I explain the difference. I would love if you would explain the difference because that's a really common one. Yep. So diastasis recti is occurs along the midline of your abdominal wall. So we have these six-pack muscles. I've never seen mine, but I hear they're under there. And then <laughs> right at the midline, I don't think I'll ever see them, but right at the midline is a, a, a kind of line of connective tissue called the linea alba. And that's it's just a connective tissue like fascia or kind of like connecting two muscles in your body. What happens during pregnancy or postpartum or lifting or anything like that is that that tissue thins. It gets thinner and stretchier. Think of like a piece of saran wrap that you're kind of pulling and it's stretching, right? So that's diastasis recti. And we see it when there's increased intra-abdominal pressure. So like you do a sit-up and you see like a coning or doming at the midline of the abdomen or, um, you know, you try to get out of bed and you kind of see that like football shape. It's because that tissue is thin and it's getting really stretched out with the pressure from that curl up maneuver. So a hernia is actually a tear in the tissue. So and a hernia can occur at the belly button, above or below the belly button, at that kind of inguinal groin area. And that's an actual tear, like a hole. So so that definitely doesn't have to be along the midline because I kind of explain no. that to people. Okay. No, you can have people have hernias in their lower abdomen, in their groin. Um, typically, males will get it kind of in their groin area. But I think more often with women, it's at the belly button. And you can see it's like all of a sudden their belly button's like an Audi instead of an innie, and it never goes away. Um, or, you know, it, it's and the thing is with a hernia is that what pokes through can be this sounds scary, but it can be like part of your intestines. So it can actually yeah. be like you, it feels fuller after you eat, it feels painful. Um, so diastasis recti doesn't cause pain, but a hernia can cause pain and it can get painful with like eating or, you know, it feels like a tear though. Um, and that's, that is a hernia. It's an actual tear in the muscle. You don't have to have surgery to fix it, but the only way to fix it is surgery. Okay. That makes sense. Cause I always explain to people, um, diastasis is like a weakening, a thinning and a hernia is an actual hole. It's an actual tear in the lining. But with diastasis, if it's a mild hernia, can they see some improvements or maybe prevent it from getting worse? I know with a real hernia, I mean with a hernia, that it needs surgery, but 
What about when it's connected? What about when they have both? Can it prevent it from getting worse or help? Totally. Totally. You can absolutely prevent it from getting worse and prevent yourself from needing surgery. So again, I always think what led to this. So typically, I mean, it's funny to say like a hernia is like a hemorrhoid or prolapse. It's like it's pressure that's like it's trying to find its way out of your body and that's where it goes is the path of least resistance. So there was a tear or something happened in the muscle and now things are kind of herniating out of that. So, um, but you have to think about what led to that. Was it straining? Was it um, improper lifting techniques? Was it holding your breath during something so that you don't prevent it from getting worse? I mean, in basic things like how you're getting up and down off a yoga mat or how you're getting out of bed, how you're lifting your kids, how you're lifting weights, all of these kind of biomechanical things can prevent it from getting worse and could have potentially contributed to it that you want to go back and look at and and really train to um, modify those things. Awesome. So, so the, the cool thing about all this is almost everything we've talked about. It's just, it's almost the same thing of what is your core doing? What is your pelvic doing? And how can we make sure that it's doing its job during different movements and during our daily activities? Absolutely. That's totally right. So if you could change like one thing about women's health or how we manage it or you know, anything that you'd want women to know or do or realize is incorrect. Like what would your best tip be? This is kind of like a finisher up. <laughs> Feel good. This is like a Miss America question. If you could, <laughs> but like, what is something that you're like, ah, I just want people to know this or realize, you know? So I think the biggest thing, I mean, if I had to pick one thing, it would be that every mom after giving birth had a checkup with a pelvic floor physical therapist. So whether it was a vaginal or cesarean birth, whether, you know, any type of birth, I mean, pregnancy and birth are such huge transformations for your body. And there are definitely things that can happen when you've never had kids or earlier in life or later in life. But I feel like this is such a huge transformation and it compromises our bodies so much. And yet there is such little care and follow-up for us that it is really frustrating. And it's really, you know, I think in this profession, um, I think there's just so much we can do to change the course of how someone recovers and helping them feel empowered instead of defeated, you know, and helping them really thrive instead of feeling like they're just in survival mode all the time. So I really think that checking with a pelvic floor PT, you know, assessing like, how are you pooping? How is pain with sex? How, you know, all of these things, how are you lifting your baby and really giving them tools to kind of navigate physically this journey in a better way than what we do now, which is nothing. (laughs) I love that you said you want people to feel empowered and thrive instead of survive because that is what it feels like sometimes. And the more information we know the better we're going to be able to do that. Totally, totally. And we don't always process. I mean, I have moms coming in that it's like they gave birth six months ago and they're starting to unpack their birth and then kind of unpack their recovery and it's emotional for them. And I'm like, we carry all of this around and have nowhere to put it, you know? And so like, where are we allowed to kind of unpack these things or have these really like expose these really intimate details of our like bladder health or our sex life or whatever and not feel judged and also not feel like we're the only ones. Like- I'm busy all day helping like so many people who have these same problems. You just don't, and you may even know them. You just don't even realize they have them because we don't talk about them. So just really giving people a safe space to kind of unpack a lot of these things, I think would just be amazing. Awesome. I love that. So Sarah, where can we find you again? So I am on Instagram as the vagina whisper at the period vagina period whisper. And um, my website is the vagina whisper.com. So um, lots of 
all things vagina on both of those um, both of those platforms. Just look for the giant vagina suit. But <laughs> <laughs> that's me. On, on a second note, though, I do know I saw on your site that you do do virtual consultations. We do. So we actually have a team of therapists who do virtual consultations. And, you know, we just get so many questions, so many DMs. And again, this is such a specific experience for everyone that we're really cautious about saying like, oh, you should do this and you should do that. So we really like to be able to kind of dive in one-on-one and say, okay, this is maybe something that works for you. Let's start here. You know, let's follow up. And it's hard to access, you know, physical therapy sometimes with location or childcare or your newly postpartum. So just, you know, we really want to be able to kind of support, support women in this process. I love that because I know, you know, if you live in a rural area with little kids or something, it's not always possible to get in to see someone. So when I saw that, I was like, yes. Yeah, I know. It's amazing. It's amazing. And it's also awesome. Like, even if you follow up with your doctor at six weeks, like there's no resources in that interim period. So I think it's just awesome to be able to support people, you know, at any time when they need it. It's a really convenient option. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us and for just being on today. Thank you so much for having me. It was awesome. Thanks, Sarah. I hope you found this episode helpful. And if it was, I really appreciate if you will share it to your social media handle so that we can spread the word and get some knowledge out and help more and more women and make these things become totally normal. I also really appreciate when you do reviews of the podcast. I read them. I look for them every single week. It helps me feel energized when I go to record another one. So I appreciate those. And don't forget to subscribe so you automatically get new downloads every Wednesday. I hope this was great. And again, you're doing better than you think you are. And we'll chat next week.